All right, so everybody in here, it's really, it would be important today, since we didn't print everything, to have a Bible in some form. So if you don't have your actual Bible, you might uh, want to pull it up on your phone if you've got one, because this is quite an extensive story, and I'm not going to read it all at once, but as we go through the story, I'm going to read it scene by scene with you, okay? And I would love for you to be able to have some eyes to put on it as we go through. This is quite the tale here. In Genesis 27, uh, we read the beginning and the end. The beginning is this plot for Isaac to bless Esau instead of Jacob. The end, as you saw just a minute ago, is Isaac doing the opposite of what he wanted to do. He actually ends up blessing Jacob. So how does that happen? And boy, oh boy, is, is it ever a soap opera in the middle. Um, I don't know if you've ever watched soap operas in your day. Um, I've watched it a few times. And uh, from what I have seen, very little, when I was younger mainly with my grandmother, <laughs> um, soap operas are all the same. Every single scene is the same. It's two people talking. And then it'll cut to the next scene and two more people are talking. And then the next scene it's two more people talking. And then the next scene it's two more people talking. It's a series of one-on-one conversations where the drama unfolds. And usually it's intrigue that unfolds it's all kinds of you know sleight of hand and everybody's deceiving everybody else well that's what I mean by chapter 27 is just like a soap opera there are six scenes if you'll look at your bulletin and I want to talk to you just through scene by scene each one is just two people talking plotting and hatching a plan that in the end uh, all of the plans end up failing every single one of them the only plan that succeeds is God's plan. It's an amazing soap opera. I don't know what we would call this one, so I called it a stew, a cloak, and a blessing. Instead of uh, days of our lives, this is a stew, a cloak, and a blessing. Y'all ready? Now, uh, do you believe that you can get a right thing in a wrong way? Give me an example. Hundred on a test. Yeah, what's a wrong way to get a hundred on a test, Miss Teacher? <laughs> That's right. Exactly. You, you had the answer somewhere stashed away, or you looked over at an especially good student, and they got a hundred. So you, you know, got a hundred uh, by deception. It is always possible to get a good thing in a wrong way, and when you get a good thing in a wrong way, it's uh, you know, in some ways, it could be still a good thing that you get it. I guess. But um, it's spoiled by the wrong way in which you went about it. It's all completely spoiled. And that's what we're going to see unfolding in each of these six scenes. It's very important to receive God's blessings in God's way. Very important. Okay, let's look at scene one. This is verses uh, 1 through 5a, which I've already actually read to you. Uh, that first part, you can see that printed. You can also look at your Bible. I'm calling it Isaac's profane plot in this first scene. Uh, who are the two characters speaking with each other in scene one? Esau and Isaac, okay? So again, this is a series of conversations between two people. Here it's Isaac and Esau. And they're, they're hatching a plan to defy the will of God. You can see that there in verse 1. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he couldn't see, he called Esau his older son and said to him, My son, and he said, Here I am. He said, Behold, I'm old. I don't know when I'll die. 
take your weapons and your quiver and your bow and go out to the field and hunt game for me and prepare for me delicious food, such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat and that my soul may bless you before I die. Now, why is that an attempt to thwart God's plan? The older is going to serve the younger. It's going to be the younger, God said to Rebekah, that's going to receive and inherit the promise of Abraham. The older won't. Esau won't. And yet Isaac just can't get it out of his mind that he wants to bless Esau. There really is a, a very strong family favoritism playing out within this family. In fact, even the structure of this chapter tonight, if you'll notice, it's Isaac, Rebekah, scene one and two, uh, Jacob, Esau, scenes three and four, and then back to Rebekah, Isaac, scenes five and six. Two boys caught between two parents. And that's actually the way it seems like their entire upbringing was. Uh, Isaac favored Esau. Rebekah favored Jacob. Why did Isaac favor Esau? This is important. He was a man's man. He was hairy. He was a skilled hunter. According to this, he, he caught the word there for delicious food is, um, you know, or the word there for game rather is the word venison. So he's talking about deer here. Uh, I don't know why actually it just it translates it game rather than venison, but he'll hunt deer and prepare for me a delicious stew that I love. So there's many reasons why Isaac prefers Esau. Most of them have to do with what? Eating <laughs> food, the way to a man's heart, through his belly, right? And that's kind of part of what this story is. Uh, what else does it have to do with besides eating? Tradition. What else? His own desires. And we're going to see as the story unfolds, his own desires as um, formulated through his senses. That's why I call it Isaac's profane plot. Do you know what the word profane means? For something to be profane or profanity is what? What does that mean? Against God. Against God, yeah, yeah. Profane means, literally it's a, from the Latin word pro meaning before and fane meaning temple. Before the temple or outside of the temple. It has to do with something that's not devoted to God or things religious or things unseen. Something devoted to just simple life in the world. The, the five senses. That's what profane means. And so Isaac's profane plot has to do with the fact that Isaac, even though he's an old man at this point. He's an old man who has walked in some ways by faith throughout his whole life yet doesn't seem to be ending his life very well because here in his old age, he's still living more by faith than he is by sight. Or more by sight than he is by faith. The other way around. He's living by his belly. He's living by what his eyes see. He, in fact, in a future scene, we're going to see it points out all five of Isaac's senses that get deceived by Jacob. Isaac is a sensual man who hasn't learned how to live by the sixth sense of faith and instead is living by what his eyes and ears and belly demands. And on that basis, it looks like Esau's a better candidate 
Because Esau has all the skills. Esau has the things that the dad wants. Uh, not least of which is the delicious food such as I love. I love that phrase. Make me delicious food such as I love. Um, don't you like that? There's something funny about it. Uh, that phrase gets repeated numerous times throughout the story. Delicious food, delicious food, delicious food. As if to say, my name is Isaac and I have completely forgotten my faith in my old age and all I care about is a good meal. <laughs> Uh, it's really a kind of a tragic thing and a reminder that every one of us should try as hard as we can not just to begin well with God but to end well. Uh, the closer we get to death, actually the more opportunity we have to live by faith because physical things break down such as the fact that Isaac's eyes were dim and he couldn't even see. He, he'd gone blind basically. He had an opportunity to live by faith. But notice, getting older doesn't make living by faith inevitable. Right? Just because you get older physically doesn't mean you get more mature spiritually. The two don't necessarily follow. You, other uh, muscles have to be exercised for you to grow in faith as you get older. And the one that it seems like Isaac has just failed to, to tone over the years is this ability to think about God's word in God's way. Instead, he had heard the word that the Lord gave to Rebekah and he began to sort of twist it and run it through the grid of his own imaginations and understanding. Uh, he was judging the Lord by his own feeble sense. He lost, you know, confidence in God's ability to bring about his purpose in his way. And so Isaac is trying to, to plot with his son Esau to get it in his way. Son, go get your bow and arrow, go out to the fields, and you will find delicious deer. And you will cook me delicious food, and I will eat this stew. And then in the secrecy of my room, I will bless you. And God's plan will have been completely thwarted. Any arrogance in that? <laughs> just a little bit, maybe. Just a little bit. As we'll see, it's a colossal failure, right? Look at verse 5. Uh, this is the bridge into scene 2. What does verse 5 say at the beginning? Back to our soap opera. This is just like a soap opera. Uh, what does Rebecca do? She's, lit. She's eavesdropping. In on the conversation, you know, she's back behind the palm bush, just kind of listening in as this is going down. And we know Rebecca's heart. Rebecca loves Jacob more than Esau. And maybe she has good reason, I don't know, but she nevertheless has favored Jacob. And her wheels begin to turn, and that leads to scene two, which is Rebecca's deceptive counterplot. Uh, Rebecca's better than. Isaac, in a way, because at least Rebecca is plotting something that is God's will versus against God's will, but she wants to use deceptive means to get to it. So let me read to you the next uh, scene here. Uh, it says, so when uh, Esau went to the field to hunt uh, game and bring it, Rebecca said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau, verse 7, bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. 
Go to the flock and bring me two young goats, two good young goats, so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat, so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. <laughs> Perhaps my father will feel me, and I, shall seem, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. And his mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go and bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food, such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son, and the skins of the young goat she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck, and she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of Jacob, her son. Scene two. The plot to deceive old man Isaac, who can barely see. Now, what do you notice about Rebecca and Jacob both? What do they already know about this plot that they're hatching? Even as they're talking about it, it's clear that they know something about it that's really important. They know it's wrong, right? They, they know. How do you know they know it's wrong? Because Jacob's like, uh-oh. But what if I get caught? I'll deserve a curse rather than a blessing. In other words, he already knows that what he and his mom are plotting to do is curseworthy. Uh, Rebecca knows it too because she says the curse is going to fall on me. So both of them already know this is wrong. And yet they're willing to do it in order to get what they want, but also what they believe God has promised them, which that part might seem like a noble motive. But here's a great lesson from scene two. Disobedience should never be justified by the good ends that it seems to produce. Uh, sometimes doing the wrong thing may seem to produce the right thing. But when you, do the right th you, when you get the right thing through the wrong means, it actually spoils the right thing that you get. And so when the conscience tells you, based on God's word, that what you're doing and what you're planning is wrong, you should listen to that. How in this scene when, uh, you know, both of them sort of let their conscience out in the open. They know it's curseworthy. That Their conscience is already accusing them for what they're doing. And they even are able to say it out loud, and yet they don't listen to it. They just barrel right over a conscience. And, and we're really good at that, aren't we? Uh, I've, you know, I have a friend who often says, I have seldom wrestled my conscience and lost. It was a joke. <laughs> I have seldom wrestled my conscience and lost. And, and that's something that we're all really good at, right? We're, we're good at wrestling our conscience into contortions to where we can somehow justify the thing that we already knew was wrong, but we get ourselves to think it was right. And I'm sure in some way that's what Rebecca and her favored son Jacob are thinking. But we're doing what God said he's going to do. We're doing God's work. And so we get a pass. We can do whatever we want. Um, they seem to be afraid only of getting caught. If I'm caught, Jacob says, I'll be cursed. They don't seem to be all that concerned with, well, we shouldn't do it simply because it doesn't please the Lord. 
Uh, and so it's an ironic thing for them to set out to try to find what God wants them to have while at the same time not being concerned about what pleases God. It's an amazing thing. Uh, God can, now this is true, we're going to see it in this story as it goes on, God can choose to bring about his purposes through our sin. Isn't that right? In fact, this, is, this story is all about that, how God gets his way even through the sin of all these people, six, or, uh, yeah, six people here involved, and every one of them sins, and yet God gets his purpose done. But the fact that God is able to do that doesn't give us an excuse not to try with all of our might to please him in all that we do, even when it seems to cost us, even when it seems like it's going to cost us what God promised us. Think about it. Imagine, what would have been a better way for Rebecca to respond to what she heard in verse 5 when she was eavesdropping behind the palm bushes. If you could rewrite scene 2. There you go. Yeah. That's right. Wouldn't it be a better, have been better had the spouses conferred? But they don't. In fact, this entire story, they don't confer at all. They go between, they play the boys off of each other. What else? How else would you rewrite it? That's right. Great examples of that. What are some of the examples in David's life of that? That's right. Wonderful. Yes, that's right. That's right. Everybody was egging him on. Look, this is God's providence. Saul, your enemy is laying right there. Right? And in some ways, yeah, David knew because of what Samuel had told him that one day he was going to replace Saul as king. And yet, even in that moment, he knew it was wrong to do that. He said, well, who, who am I? To lay my hand against God's anointed king. And he lets Saul live every time. That's, a, that's why David's called a man after God's own heart, right? That David was way ahead of Isaac and Rebekah and Esau and Jacob at this point. Way ahead. Um, we could spend a whole long time talking about maybe why that was, but um, nevertheless, David was ahead spiritually. Um, what else didn't Rebecca do that she should have done besides talk to Isaac or simply refuse to do the wrong thing? There's a big one. It starts with a P. Pray. Pray. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there is no prayer in this story. That's amazing. Um, this seems like a perfect opportunity to pray. And yet that's not what they think to do. Instead, they go about you know, trying to hatch this deceptive, selfish plot. And they go forward with it. And, you know, Jacob gets dressed up. And Rachel, I mean, not Rachel, Rebecca, whom you can tell, is a little bit sort of upset that Isaac would seem to prefer her son's cooking 
to hers, right? <laughs> you know, there's that little uh, statement there. It's like, um, verse 9, go to the flock and bring me two young goats so that I can prepare the delicious food for your father such as he loves. It's like, what Esau can do with venison, I can do with goat, you know? She goes ahead with it. She believes uh, that this is her opportunity to show up her son, her oldest son, whom she clearly has a deep divide with. And, and again, maybe for some good reason. Maybe for some good reason, but nevertheless still handling it in a very poor way. That's scene two, Rebecca's deceptive counterplot. Look at scene three, starting in verse 18. This is Jacob's apparent success. So Jacob went into his father and said, my father. And he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? Remember, he's blind. And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? <laughs> he answered, because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, to know whether or not you are really Esau. So Jacob went near to Isaac his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's. He must have had some hairy hands, by the way. The goat skins were on his hands to make it seem like he was Esau. So Isaac blessed him. He said, are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, bring it near me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate. And he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near me and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. Man, this is the scene, right? Jacob's lies get more and more grievous as the scene goes on. Give me some examples of that. I mean, his lies just get worse and worse and worse. He brings God into it, right? How did you get the deer that quick? The Lord. He knew it was goat, and yet he brought the Lord into it. He almost swore before God that he was telling the truth when he really wasn't. What else? How many times does Isaac ask him, are you sure you're Esau? <laughs> and he doubles down and he triples. It was three times, right? And he, so he, he lies at first, he doubles down, and then he triples down. Um, Isaac should have 
<laughs> uh, Isaac should have followed his senses a little better in this case. In fact, this is the scene where you see reference to every one of his senses. Where do you see seeing referenced? What's that? Tasting is in there. Yeah. Yeah. Does it? Oh, yeah. He doesn't. Yeah. He tastes. So there's, there's seeing mentioned, which is in he couldn't see. Hearing is mentioned. Where is that mentioned? The voice is Jacob's. Feeling is mentioned. Touch. But the hands are Esau's. Tasting is there with the wine and the goat, although Rebecca must have done a good job with that goat because I've eaten goat and deer, and the deer is quite a bit better than the goat. But in this case, she did it right. The spices were right on. And then smell. How did smell come in? The garments that he had stolen or borrowed from Esau, and they smelled just like Esau. And that smell actually was the thing that finally gets Isaac to give in and say, oh, wow, this is Esau, and I will bless you. The smell of my son's garments are like the smell of the field of the Lord. Isaac is a slave to his senses. And yet he doesn't sort of fully follow what his senses are telling him. Instead, he is allowed to be deceived by Jacob's sleight of hand. It's a sad thing that Jacob was willing to do this to his old blind dad. But in a sense, it's even sadder that he was able to do it to his old blind dad. Right? Both are at fault. He's in a hurry to eat. He just wants that delicious food. Yeah, delicious food. Bonnie? Bonnie? Yeah, maybe there's no secret that it's right after the wine that he smells <laughs> and he thinks he's heard Jacob. There's one other thing there too, the kiss. We didn't mention that. Wow, okay. Have you thought of anybody else in the Bible who deceived with a kiss? Uh, Judas himself, I mean that, that is the lowest of low, right? To deceive your father or your teacher with a kiss. And yet he does it. This is dirty. Soap opera level stuff. Yes, Ben. Is there a significance in wine, bread, two goats? We, I mean, hmm. those all sound like sacrifice. Um, you know, when you go to God with a sacrifice, these are the things you bring. Could, could be, yeah. It could be a kind of an allusion to that. For sure. I mean, I, I mean, part of the answer to that is, well, this is just kind of, this was the typical meal. You ate bread, you drank wine, and you ate some type of meat, goat or sheep or something, or uh, beef or whatever. But, but it could be, because, yeah, you're right. I mean, a lot of the sacrifices say bring two young goats, offer some grain, and then offer the drink offering of wine or oil poured over. So, yeah, very much. I mean, Blessings involved. He's definitely trying to offer something to his father that will win him the blessing. So in that sense, it's like a sacrifice that he's making. But it's a deceptive sacrifice. right? He's trying to gain it through ill-gotten means. Uh, and by the way, he's trying to gain something that would have happened to him in any case. 
Why do I say that? God had already said it. Now, you know, God had already said it. He had announced it because he had already planned it. He had already determined it. And Jacob probably would have known that. I mean, I'm sure Rebecca told him. Because it definitely seems like this went straight to Rebecca's heart, this message of God. And so Jacob should have known that God had already planned this for him. He didn't have to lie and cheat and steal to get it. But oh, how fickle, you know, the human heart is. I mean, we just don't think God's capable of carrying out God's plans without our boost. We saw it with Abraham when he tried to get the Hagar thing going on, Abraham and Sarah, you know. We saw it with Abraham and Isaac when they lied about their spouse. We're going to see it again and again, actually, with Jacob. Jacob lives up to his name of deceiver. He's going to constantly be trying to plot to get the promise until finally God just has to wrestle him. And break his hip. <laughs> finally, you know, that's what he does. He just gives him a karate chop to the hip. And finally, Jacob submits to God. He's going to be older in his life when he does. The lesson here is that you don't have to do that. You can really depend on God. Sin is always deceptive. It seems good. It seems like it's going to bear good fruit, but actually overall it's going to bear very bitter fruit in your life. It's much better to wait on the Lord's promises in the Lord's time in the Lord's way. Much better than to try to get it by force or by deception. Jacob apparently seems successful in these verses. I mean, it seems like it worked to a T. And in fact, you know, some people may read this and think, wow, what a great thing. What a great plot. And yet, this is going to bear some extremely poisonous fruit in Jacob's life and in Rebekah's life. More on that in a moment. Scene four, Esau's anti-blessing, verses 30 to 40. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, Who are you? <laughs> he answered, I'm your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me, and I ate it before you came, and I have blessed him? Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Isaac heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. And then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him for servants. And with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. And Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be. 
and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother, and when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Thanks, Dad. Right? The anti-blessing. The anti-blessing. How does Isaac respond and how does Esau respond when they find out that their plot to thwart God failed? Two very picturesque phrases there, right? For Esau, it says what in verse 33? He trembled very violently. I mean, he is shaken to the core. And then for Esau, another you know, picturesque phrase, verse 34, with an exceeding great and bitter cry, he cried out. How would you describe their emotional response? Put some words to it besides those words. Frustration, emotional in the sense of devastation. Yeah, I would say that, devastation. Now, interesting, though, that they're devastated that they could not thwart God's plan. What does that say kind of about them? And Talk about that. What makes them so frustrated and devastated that they could not successfully, secretly thwart the plan of God? Right, they do. They definitely do. And and maybe that comes from the fact that these are the these are the two go getters. These are the skillful men. Um, one's a skillful hunter. The other is enough of a man's man to appreciate a skillful hunter more than his smooth brother. <laughs> do you see? And it doesn't make any sense to them that in this case they could not accomplish what they set out to accomplish. And yet God gets the victory. The Bible will later say that Esau's tears were tears of a worldly sorrow but not of a true repentance. And so Esau's heart continues to get harder in this scene. Uh, Later he uh, chooses to go marry more foreign women just because Isaac tells tells Jacob not to do it. So Esau goes and does it more, you know, just to spite his dad and in a way also to spite God because he couldn't trick God out of what God had not promised him. Esau's anti-blessing. This is the beginning, though, of, for Isaac of a humbling. The beginning of a humbling, which we'll see at the very end in just a moment. Let's go to scene five. Rebecca's distress, verses 41 to 45. Now Rebecca freaks out because Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching, then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebecca. Rebecca's got ears everywhere, by the way. She does. She's a mother, right? She's got ears all over, eyes in the back of her head. And so she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother, in Haran, and stay with him a while until your 
brother's fury turns away until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? Now, why is, is Rebecca distressed? Different than Isaac. Esau is going to kill her favorite son. And so she sends Jacob away. In fact, this is the last time she ever sees her favorite son. The last time in Genesis before she dies. This is what happens when we try to get even good things in evil ways. Even in the lives of his dear children, God does not shield them from the temporary consequences of their sinful actions. Jacob will not be able to be at home in his own home ever again. And his life with Laban <laughs> is going to become famous for its terrible quality <laughs> uh, in many, many, many ways. But he's going to learn about God while he's there because God's going to have tremendous grace on Jacob. He's not done with Jacob yet. But nevertheless, Jacob's going to have to eat the poison, bitter fruit of the actions that he did towards his father Isaac. And a lot of times that's true in our lives. Yeah, when God forgives us, it's glorious that he takes off the eternal consequences of our sins. But that doesn't mean that we won't have to suffer some of the temporary consequences of what we do. And so that's one reason. I mean, it's not the only reason not to sin, but it's one reason not to, <laughs> or to try not to. It's because, um, you know, God lets us feel the weight and the, you know, the responsibility for the choices that we've made by allowing it to play out. And sometimes that can be extraordinarily ugly. Rebecca sees that now. She makes the plot to get him away. He flees. Last scene. Isaac is humbled. And finally, for the first time in his life, when he's an old blind man, he finally gives in to what God said when he was 40 years old. That it would be Jacob that inherits the blessing given to Abraham. Verse 46, Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women, meaning the ones that Esau married. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padam Aram to Laban, the son of Bethuel the Aramean, brother of Rebekah, Jacob and Esau's mother. Finally, the blessing. From Isaac's own mouth, the very words that God had used to Abraham and the very words that God had appeared and he used to him, he finally is able to say to his son. He sees the writing on the wall. He sees that Esau's heart is hard. And he admits it. I mean, he's been trying to ignore it. He's been trying to ignore it because he loved Esau so much. He's such a good hunter. He makes such good food. 
And he ignored the fact that his heart was hard. Finally, he begins to see God's got a different plan. God's going to show mercy on my son Jacob, even though I haven't shown a whole lot of mercy to him. And he then gives the blessing. Let me say one last thing to to summarize this great story. And it's this. In the heart of this story is an exchange for a blessing. Right? Jacob dresses up like Esau so that he could receive the blessing that the father intended for Esau. That was an exchange accomplished by sin and deception. But the great news that we can rely on is that God himself, in his fatherly heart, has devised an equally awesome exchange, but one not based on deception, one based on righteousness, where Jesus came clothed in the hairy cloaks of human sin (laughs) so that he could take his cloaks that smelled so sweet to the Father and put them on us so that with a kiss, God would give us the blessing that Jesus deserved rather than the blessing that we deserve. It's an amazing thing what is going on here. Every single character meeting in pairs with one another is a sinner who is actively trying to sin against God in some way. And yet out of it, God not only accomplishes his purpose to bless Jacob, but he also provides us with one of the most beautiful pictures in the Bible of a blessing through exchange that becomes a sort of like a prelude to the great symphony of the cross. It's amazing that God can do that. It's an encouragement that God can do that. And, you know, I think maybe most of us, if if we have paid attention or lived long enough, we have seen how God maybe even has done some of that with our own sin. How he's begun to play the notes of the gospel song, even using some of the bad noises that we've made. Uh, the, the mess that we've made of our lives, God is able to take and make something beautiful. All, only because the favored son, Jesus, went for us.